All right. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Replace Your Income with Kevin and... Steve. How's it going, Kev? Good, man. How's Canada? Oh, man. It's going well. I'm, I'm working my butt off out here. I, th I know <laughs> that you think that I'm up here on vacation, but uh, I'm actually out of the farmhouse uh our you know three of our, our grown-up children came uh you know or met us out here and and we've been uh working on rebuilding the deck for my in-laws it's been a really nice. fun project actually but it just helped me uh realize better than ever like what all this gray hair i've got you know it's like <laughs> yeah this is real it's legit like as, as much as people might think i dye my hair gray like it's natural <laughs> i have some exceptional facial growth look at these gray streaks yeah. right here I was that, like, did, you, did you dye your goatee? Uh -uh. I was like, what? No, that's just all natural, man. Hey, wow. but I was I was gonna say, uh, so this is obviously a little bit of a different format. I'm in my office, Steve is in Canada. We are recording the video on Zoom. So the YouTube may look a little bit different. We're not in the studio and uh, we're recording the audio through a different software. So hopefully it sounds good. Everybody can say, we still want to, you know, we love doing the video podcast. So we still want people to be able to see us, but I was going to say something about your adult children out there working. So we, our kids are at an age now, Steve, where I'm finally uh, seeing how beautiful the idea of child labor can be. Um, and so it's good to know that child labor does not end once they leave your home. Is that what I'm hearing? Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, actually, it gets even better with age. Okay. Know? Yeah, because they, they can lift some, more, do more. Well, I mean, they've learned like some skills. They've had to do some like work on their own properties. You know, some of them are married. And so they're, you know, doing like chores and stuff, you know, how, you know, doing them not because mom and dad are telling them to, but, you know, because they want to you know, make their own house beautiful or take care of their own children or whatever. So it's, it's, you know, they've learned some skills and some work ethic. And, and so actually, you know, I kind of feel like I'm the lazy one. So it's, it's, been, good. it's been good. Hey, look, uh, you know, you just can echo the role of CEO with your family, right? And CEOs are really good at having a vision and helping others know what role they can best play. So that's all you're doing. Yeah. Like I took this, I don't know, some kind of a, profile test and it says i'm not very good at like physical labor so i just like i'm i'm really good at just telling people what to do yeah that's perfect I do i sit back yeah. sit my lemonade <laughs> that's that's perfect the other the other thing that i've seen work really well is when my wife asks me to do all the things that i don't want to do when i do them so poorly uh that then she stops asking me to do them so that's another just a pro tip for everybody out there. That's uh, another tactic. Yeah, yes. that works. That works well. well dude, we're loving it up here. It's a lot of fun. Good. Good. Awesome. Well, it's good to be with you. So, uh, Steve and I were, were look, <laughs> it's kind of been fun. I mean, Steve, I've heard Steve rant on how awesome it is to buy real estate in this market right now on numerous occasions. We had agents that were in the office and Steve gets so fired up and passionate and then we had uh, our, our partners from um, Specialized Property Management in the office and Steve was getting fired up. And I've heard Steve get fired up just talking to us around the office. And it's I love how passionate you are, Steve, about why right now is such a good time to buy real estate. And, and you guys hear that all the time on the podcast that right now is a good time to buy. And, and we're not here to just say, Now's a good time to buy. I mean, you could go back and listen to other podcasts and hear us talk about why now's a good time to buy. And we'll touch on it today. But what I thought would be interesting, because you've been so passionate about it, Steve, I was thinking, I was like, I was like, 
if I think back to the entire company history, almost every single economic condition, and we've seen a few of them, the passion for why now is the right time to buy real estate has been the same. And I was working on the book. We are getting so close to uh, to being done with that thing. I just, I have this perfectionism. And so I just keep writing and rewriting. But every time I do it, I improve it. And uh, and then Steve, you know, is able to, to help guide me and add additional stories and additional content after I do another rewrite. And so we've had this amazing collaborative process, but we have a chapter in the book that is a principle and the principle is do it now. And it kind of comes from W. Clement Stone who had this sort of mantra that he repeated over and over and over again, do it now, do it now, do it now. And we relate that to why real estate, why now is always a good time to buy. And we talk about it all the time on the podcast, but I was going through this chapter and Steve, I just felt like there was something missing. And I thought, you know, what if people think we're kidding? What if people think that we are only just saying that that we're somehow opportunists and we're only just ever saying buy now because it, it that's what our company needs in order to continue. And I mean, while there's truth to that, the reality is it does not matter what the economy has been. So today we're going to go on a little history lesson and we're going to talk about what did we do when the world was collapsing during the Great Recession? Then what did we do post recession. Then what did we do when the whole world came to a screeching halt during COVID? Then what are we doing as we're persevering through COVID? And then what's happening now in a post-COVID world? Because the crazy thing is we have now gone through what feels like two entire market cycles since we started this company. And we've always been passionately ranting that real estate is awesome to buy. And so Steve, I, I think we should get in the time machine let's uh let's get in the delorean and let's set the date for like 2000 like early 2008 before the collapse and let's talk about a little of what it felt like then and what we decided to do during that phase because my goal for you guys listening today is this i want you to hear what our reaction was during that time then i want you to hear what it was like after the great recession then i want you to hear what it was like during covid and i mean that we were doing the podcast during covid but i just think it's important to say look this is how regardless of what's going on in real estate regardless of what aspect of the market is deficient real estate can make up for the deficiency and that's the real key no matter what part of the economy or market is deficient real estate can make up for for or or help offset that deficiency yeah so if we go back to to 2008 what we were doing then i mean as a company we just barely got started right but you know by the end of 2008 2009 just as like the, the market crashed i mean we literally we had hundreds of clients and help and we had helped our clients buy hundreds of homes like that was the beginnings um and and what's interesting i don't know if you remember kevin um we literally had clients who were at the signing table <laughs> trying to close on their properties and and just as they were signing or right after they signed or maybe it was right before they signed the bank that was funding the loan literally went out of business like we had that happen a couple of times we right? did i was closing the loans at that time yeah yeah i like, remember <laughs> it's pretty dramatic like it was like that was one of the craziest times it's like it's like are we done before we even started yeah it's like, crazy but but as we sat down, I literally remember we sat down in the conference room and we were having this conversation about like what's going on in the market and what are we like, how are we going to um, help our clients through this? How are we going to get through it as investors ourselves? 
Because if you remember, Kevin, many of us had been buying properties, like unbeknownst to us, at the peak of the market. The reality right. is, is- We didn't know it was the peak. <laughs> well, that's just it, is you never know. You never know. You're at, the, at the peak of any market or at the trough of any market. You just know that you're somewhere in the cycle. And there are different indicators that can help you know some, you know, approximately maybe where you're at. But but most of the time, even the most sophisticated investors and all the pundits and all the experts, they don't know. They they usually get it wrong, yeah. right? Because it's True. just their guess is as good as anybody's. You know, they That's got right. all this data and information, but the reality is, is they don't know. Like they, they were they were wrong, you know, during COVID and wrong during you know at the end of COVID and in the last few months and. And anyway, so during 2008, 2009, 2010, as we are strategizing, talking about what do we tell our clients? And actually, we looked at each other and it was pretty simple. It was like, okay, we helped our clients like literally buy um, these properties with positive cash flow. That's that's one of the things that's important, right? Is that there there needs to be some cash flow in order to service the property, in order to, that, that's just been one of the principles that we've espoused. There are there are arguments for how even negative cash flow can 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 be a, it, it can still work. We did but a whole podcast on it, actually. Yeah. <laughs> but even today, the properties like in order to get a DFY stamp of approval, it has to have um, a degree of profitability of, yeah. of net positive cash flow, even on a monthly basis. And so we sat down, we discussed it. We went back to our clients. And we said, hey, here's a strategy. Hang tight. Wait for this to to for it to to run its course to go through the cycle, and and you're going to be just fine. So collect your two, three, four hundred dollars a month cash flow, and just be patient. And and people saw the values of their properties fall, but here's the reality: if you held on to your property, you held and you kept and just kept collecting your cash flow, within a period of time, your properties, you know, the the market came back, and and in fact, it came screaming back. And every single one of those clients, and and gratefully, the vast majority of them of them kept our, you know, uh, took our advice and just hung onto the properties, and they ultimately did very, very well. Now, you know, they had to hang onto those properties for, you know, six, seven years, but in that sixth and seventh and eighth year, like those properties were life changing for our clients. That's right. Yeah, and so. I was going to say the quote from Charlie Munger uh, that you know that's also in the book. He said, so that's Warren Buffett's right-hand man. And he says, the big money is not in the buying and the selling, but in the waiting. And that's really what we saw. Yeah. The wealth is in the waiting. Absolutely. And so, you know, uh, in talking about doing this little history lesson, that's what we did then, right? And and then, of course, we, we helped our clients during that period of time when the market had really crashed and we are buying properties like brand new homes practically at 40, 50, 60 cents on the dollar. As the market came back, those individuals did extremely well. Now their cash flows, like Kev, if you remember, cash flows were not very good. No, they weren't. Because people were literally like leaving their homes because they could go rent a property for several hundred dollars less than what their mortgage was. Yeah, that's right. Because, not because interest rates were, were crazy low or high or whatever, it was because the value of the homes had dropped so significantly that that they could just go, you know, let their property go to foreclosure, let somebody buy it, and then rent it out at yeah. lower than what their mortgage was. No, that's right. It, you know, it's interesting because I, when I was thinking about this topic and thinking about what we put in the book, I kind of have this unique point of view from the standpoint of this. 
I was out doing a lot of uh, seminars and, and real estate, you know, seminars. And so whether it's been real estate seminars or podcasts or webinars, like I've always kind of been in a position where I'm selling the idea of real estate. And so when I go through, you know, why real estate, you're only going to sell benefits, right? You, you have to let people know what could be a potential, I don't know, pothole in the road, but you're selling benefits. Now, the reason why I bring that up is I look back to 2008 and 2009, and I was thinking about what were the benefits that we were seeing after the crash during the Great Recession. And if everybody remembers, I mean, you had this massive run-up of property uh, appreciation, like Steve said, and then we have all of these banks go out of business. You see mass foreclosure. And so now, you because you have mass foreclosure, all of a sudden the market was flooded with inventory. Steve and I, for the last year, year and a half, we've been talking, or two years or longer, have been talking about the shortage of supply on the market. Well, you had a reversal, right? After, after the Great Recession, you had a massive amount of inventory hit the market, but you didn't have anybody that could buy because that inventory came from people that had been foreclosed on, that had got too much mortgage, that had got a little loose with the lending practices at the time because heartbeat loans were a thing. You know, all you had to do was fog a mirror and you could get a loan. There was all that junk that was going on. And so you had a bunch of people in financial dire straits. They were losing their home. And like you said, they could turn around and rent it from somebody who bought it for significantly less and probably pay less than they were paying on their mortgage. But all of these homes hit the market. And because all of these homes hit the market, the price goes down significantly. You got people that are short selling homes. You have homes that are slipping into foreclosure. And then the banks are going back and trying to redeem whatever the money they can if they foreclosed on the property. So there's, they're just trying to kind of hedge their losses. So they were turning around and selling those properties for significantly less. At the time, we were really active at the auctions, right? We had teams that were going to the auction because that was something that was available at that time was to go and buy properties at the auction. I mean, we you remember better than anybody, Steve. I mean, the whole process of what our teams on the ground, because we'd opened Phoenix, we'd open up Las Vegas, and shortly thereafter, Florida, what our teams on the ground were doing to vet a, you know, the properties would come out that morning. They would go and drive as many, they would, they would do an initial bit of vetting on this list of properties that were gonna be auctioned off at the courthouse, right? And then they would go and drive these properties. Sometimes they would break windows that they had to get in to see what condition the property was in. They'd go, they'd take a look at it. They'd relay that information to the person that was at the auction. They were bidding and then, you know, that whole process meant that we were able to help our clients buy properties significantly below even, and this was crazy. So you had this insane market where everybody's freaking out, everybody's in foreclosure. The lending practices, because of uh, the Dodd-Frank legislation, all of a sudden it became a lot more difficult to get a loan. You had to be far better qualified, there was less people that could get qualified, but the, the ones that could, could buy these homes at really low prices, even after rehab. And what was crazy is, do you remember, Steve, we were helping our clients buy homes at less than the rebuild cost on the insurance, which just simply meant there was going to be a natural upward pressure. But the argument at the time was, oh man, I mean, the market's crazy. I don't know if it's ever going to come back. Everybody's in foreclosure. You know, the economy is going to blow up. All these banks are going out of business. I mean, I think people now, because the real estate market got so good after the Great Recession, I think people have forgot how 
bad it felt to be in that world. And people were freaked out and didn't want to buy as a result. So what did we do? We found a strategy that took advantage of what the market gave us. The market was giving us low prices and still re and low rents, but low prices in a market that was going to see appreciation because of all the other economic factors. What else do you remember about that time in terms of what we were trying to accomplish? Well, I mean, here at the, at the end of the day, the advice that we gave our clients then is the same advice that we're giving them today. Yeah, right? that's right. That today is a fantastic time to be buying. And in fact, here's the reality is that the homes that I purchased at the peak of the market ultimately did just as well as properties that were purchased, you know, uh, 2010, 2011, 2012. At the end of the day, those properties performed phenomenally well. They just performed in, in, a, in a slightly different way in terms of like timing right yeah but the the economic gain was as projected and and in fact um the timeline really didn't change um much if if any you know based on the the projections of the performers at that time that that we put together so you know what i remember most about that time is that the the philosophy the theory the practice the strategy has remained consistent moving forward, even though market conditions are are a little bit different. Yeah. So let me be super clear to everybody. So the homes we were buying back then with our clients, right? Three bed, two bath, two car garage, nice areas that had good economic indicators and factors. It's exactly what we were doing here, what we're doing today and what we did during the 2010s. Uh, th there's really no difference, right? So Post 2010s, so in that you know that lead up to the uh, recession, it was three bed, two bath, two car garage. Okay, in, in good areas and good neighborhoods that kind of checked all the boxes. After uh, all of the Great Recession stuff started to settle down, you know we had stimulus check, it was all this. We had TARP funds, we had all this stuff. The Dodd Frank Wall Street reform passed in 2010, which now all of a sudden it was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Now, if we're going to go and go get financing, we've got to put 20% down. We got to be well qualified. We have to be a full doc investor, meaning you had to prove everything. None of this. Ah, this is how much I make. I promise, which is kind of what existed before that. And I remember people freaking out, Steve, that, whoa, 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 how are we even gonna go get, you know, now we have to have this 20% down. We've, I can't just write everything off on my taxes because I'm self-employed. How am I gonna qualify for a property? And once again, the idea was do whatever it takes to buy three bed, two bath, two car garage in nice areas with good economic indicators that will rent well. And that's really, I feel like what the game was in the 2010s. So if you look at like, the Great Recession, we were buying with the potential of appreciation. And I remember, you know, at that time it was like, look, the game is is buy below rebuild cost appreciation and cash flow. If you get any cash flow, that's awesome. That's kind of like frosting on the cake, right? Then, Steve, the pendulum swung in a slightly different direction where kind of like mid-2010s, we had really well-qualified buyers. 
all of the excess inventory had kind of been gobbled up and it returned to a little bit more of a normal market. We were at, you know, five, six percent interest rates around that time frame. And uh, people had to be well qualified. And now, I don't know if you remember, but now it was, I'm sure you remember, now it was a situation where we're buying properties that are cash flowing really well. Why? Because the rental market exploded during the Great Recession because nobody could buy. And so since nobody could buy, everybody had to rent. So again, supply and demand. So now there's this greater supply of renters. There's so much or a greater supply of renters, less of a supply of rentable homes because the demand was so high and so it forced rents up so now we're going and buying properties that we're not buying at the basement bargain levels that we were during the great recession but now the beauty is rents have come back and we're still getting a little appreciation but then we were saying look the reason to buy real estate is because you're going to get cash flow cash is king this was the time when the one percent rule was thriving right everybody was like oh, i'm not gonna buy unless it, you know one percent of, of purchase price because that was the environment. Rents were really high. Purchase prices were coming up. And so we would tell people, even then, it's like, look, today you're buying a three-bed, two-bath, two-car garage type home in a great neighborhood that's going to attract a good renter that's going to be there for a long time because they can't really qualify to buy anything anytime soon. So the demand is high. You want to, you always want to own supply where demand is high. And now cash flow was king. And we would say, look, appreciation, if it comes, that's the frosting, right? So during the Great Recession, the frosting was cash flow. Then cash flow swung up and appreciation swung down. Prices went up. Appreciation, you know, prices had come up. Appreciation wasn't going through the roof like it did during COVID. It was steady, but we we're like, hey, cash flow is a deal. If you get some appreciation, that's awesome. Uh, and that was kind of the environment. The pendulum swung from one aspect of real estate to another but in both scenarios there was a at that's why we love real estate real estate provides multiple profit centers in multiple ways you're still getting tax benefits you're getting and even then i don't think we were even as bullish on the amazingness that comes from the tax savings of real estate or the principal pay down or any of that stuff like that was all still present but we were talking more cash flow at that time because that was the thing that was frankly probably the most attractive about real estate at that time do you agree yeah, ab absolutely. And, you know, you touched on something, the supply and demand. What happened during the time that you just described is that builders stopped building. Yep. Like almost <laughs> completely. And, and so we began this, this, this steady decline in supply of affordable homes. And that went on for years, like for literally 10 years, builders didn't really build at volume. And, but we kept having babies and people, you know, kept growing up and got to the point where they needed properties. And it was before COVID even hit yeah. that, that we were, you know, we were kind of, again, screaming from at the top of our lungs on top of a mountain. It's hard for people to hear us because we're just this tiny, you know, little breeze uh, in, in the wind. And, and there was a massive supply and demand issue. The exact yeah. same thing. We're still seeing it today. And, and right before COVID, I mean, about a year before COVID, builders started really trying to ramp up. And that's one of the reasons why, if you remember, Kevin, we, you know, we were having this conversation when COVID hit and all the experts were saying, you know, home prices are going to drop dramatically and there's going to be real big issues in, in real estate. Number one, the first thing we said is this is not the same situation as we saw in 2008, 2009. Yeah, well, that's exactly what we were saying. Yeah. Right. Because number one, 
uh, there was no supply. And so demand was already high. And, and so we're like, there, there's no two ways about it. People are wanting to buy homes and builders are trying to build them. And now, you know, the government's put in, put on the, all kinds of work moratoriums and different things. So that was going to make it even higher, harder. And then because of COVID issues with supplies, everything being, you know, uh, manufactured across, you know, across uh, the oceans and other countries, it began to be harder than ever to get supplies. People couldn't work, so you couldn't make concrete and you couldn't cut trees and you couldn't produce lumber and you couldn't produce nails and you couldn't. And then on top of that, the labor, right? There was all kinds of rules and regulations and people in certain states and certain places couldn't work. Certain types of industries that were deemed, you know, uh, non-essential, they couldn't work and that kind of thing. And so it was inevitable that we were, that because the prices were going to go up for all of that stuff and demand was still going to be like just massive that we were just like, I, we're just not seeing what everybody's yelling about. Yeah. Like we think that this is going to be another, it, it's still, you know, just a great time to be buying. And, and so that's what we saw. That's what we experienced. And, and now, you know, we've, we've, you know, fortunately the world has worked itself out of COVID and there's still a supply issue, but now real estate, uh, interest now interest rates are high mortgage rates are high and and so we've been we've been kind of you know doing our very best to you know to be as loud as we possibly can to help people understand look in back in the 1980s when interest rates mortgage rates were 16 17 18 percent if you knew then what you know today you would have bought as many of those homes as you possibly could have because if you would have bought four or five of them and hung on to them you'd be a multimillionaire today uh, just based on the equity and uh, appreciation growth that you experienced. And you would have figured out somehow, some way to, you know, take care of that negative cash flow uh, because rents certainly weren't high enough to, you know, cover an 18% interest rate. And so what we're yeah. saying today, Kev, is exactly the same thing. We're trying to take our experience. It's it's kind of like, you know, you're, you're sharing what Charlie Munger, he's, he's Warren Buffett's right-hand man. And what does Warren Buffett always say? When everybody else is greedy, you, you know, um, you sell. And when everybody else is fearful, you buy. And right now, everybody is running scared. Yeah, like, they are. You look at real estate transactions, they are down. You know, again, the experts are saying real estate transactions are down 30, 35%. No, they're down 65 plus percent, Kevin. Yeah, right. Like, like the whole real estate world. There are three major real estate players who were on the Fortune 500 list last month who are no longer on the Fortune 500 list. It's and it's real estate transactions are significantly down. And that's one of the other reasons why buying today is such a, an incredible time. Like a few, a few months ago, a year ago, two years ago, we call it the ocean was red with blood because mm -hmm. everybody was buying and bidding up prices and you'd have multiple offers, 10, 20 people, you know, offering on a home. Well, today, you know, the market is normalized that way. It's just a normal market. You now can go out, you can offer on a $300,000 home, you can offer 290 and then they'll counter back at, you know, 297.5 and then you'll settle on 295 and you'll get a little bit of a discount. That's normal today. And right. that's kind of the normal market, which is kind of cool that you can actually go and make an offer and buy a house and not have 10 other, 20 other people like, you know, bidding against you. And it's the same thing. We've talked about this interest rates. Interest rates aren't high. No. They're normal. 
Right. When we got into this game back in 2008, 2009, interest rates were, you know, somewhere in the sixes, I think, high sixes. They, I was doing sevens on investment properties. Sevens, yeah. You know, and uh, the, the big difference is that there hadn't just been a dramatic increase in prices right. where, that we've currently seen. And so the real, the only difference is that prices have gone up and rents haven't caught up yet. Yeah. Well, guess what? You own a property for a few years and rents are going to catch up. And so, again, it's a normal market from that from that standpoint. So it's beautiful. The other thing that's really interesting and that's really normal is that appreciation is normal. It's not climbing in double digits. It's not falling in double digits. That's it's just right. it's going up at historic uh, north. Now, having said that, there are some markets where it has dropped. Absolutely. But the markets where we're buying and in many markets across the United States, appreciation is between three and a half and five percent. That's normal. And guess what? Normal wins big time. Yeah. And so that's why that's why to me, like right now is such an exciting time. Kevin, that's why you and I have gone out this year. And I think I don't know, I think we've we've done between you be, between ourselves individually, partnerships between me and you partnerships in the company i think like just us you know between you and i like we're yeah. between six i think six or seven properties this year yeah. that we, we've purchased and accumulated and and uh, there's still half a year to go and so we're yeah you know i'm excited about continuing to to move that that uh that forward yeah you know it's so interesting you know if you, th if, you if everybody were to you know in our time machine here you think back to COVID and how scared everybody was and we knew a couple things we knew that demand for rent was going to go up simply because everybody was fleeing and then we had we saw massive demand go up for buying just because there wasn't any supply it was this whole weird mix-up and if you look at what's happening today if we just look at so yes we the market is normal okay rents are a little bit lower than maybe we'd like them to be where our cash flows are lower than we'd like them to be but listen rents always take longer to catch up to appreciation appreciation has gone through the roof it's going to take rents longer to catch up and i had this interesting i, I was at a barbecue the other night and we were talking to some friends and they've been renting for the last seven years in our neighborhood he's got a good job they've got uh they've got what five kids uh he's got a good job but they are still renting. You know why? Because they can't afford to buy. And as much as they would like to buy a primary residence, they don't have at that stage where they're at, right? He's in his 30s. Uh, so he's established his career. He doesn't have the ability to buy. And there's a lot of people in that stage, right? 20s and 30s that may not have the ability to buy. So they're still having to rent. So for those of us that can buy, not only do we still have a shortage in supply, but if you just look at it from a rental standpoint, there are still people that are saying, especially in certain markets, I don't want to go and buy a home right now. I still want to rent because they are listening to the Teeny Tiny Pockets Brigade. They're worried they don't know what's going to happen in the market. And so as a result, there's an additional pressure on rental real estate. And that's even the case in the markets where we are in, the homes that we're doing. I know everybody probably goes, oh my gosh, everybody should be buying homes around $300,000. Listen, that is still, there are so many people that are still tied to the idea of $200,000 or less on a primary residence for a starter home that they're looking at a $300,000 mortgage with 5% down. Okay. And they're going, this is unreasonable for me as a first time home buyer, which again, has a pressure on rents, which benefits all of us that are investing in real estate. So well, Kevin, you know, it's really interesting, yeah. really quick on that note. That's one more of the, the elements that makes, you know, today an interesting and awesome time to be buying. What's, what's interesting to me is, you know, I don't know. 
a lot of people think that the government is dumb, you know, that they don't know what they're doing. They're making all these mistakes. I, I kind of have a different opinion. I kind of think that they know what they're doing to a large degree. <laughs> like yeah. these are all the PhDs, the smart people. And what they, what, what, if you take a look at it, literally, they've raised the interest rates just enough, just enough, Kev, to put a mortgage out of reach. Yeah. For the, for they know what people make. They got all the numbers. Oh, yeah. They know what people make and what they can afford. And they put them just barely out of reach where they can't afford them. So at seven and a quarter interest, seven interest, six and three quarters, six and a half, it just puts them out of reach for the ability to buy a, a primary residence, not necessarily because they don't have a down payment or they don't qualify, yeah. but because they don't just, they just quite, they don't quite make enough money right. to, uh, to, to afford the mortgage, right? Yeah, on and a so, monthly basis. Exactly. Yeah, and so they they just it's right, just barely out of range. So guess what's going to happen, Kev? The demand hasn't gone anywhere. The demand <laughs> yeah, right. is right there. Yeah. And so imagine when interest rates at at, at when, whenever it happens, I don't know it's going to happen next year, three years, five years from now. I don't. Whenever the smart people decide the interest rates need to go back down just a little bit, like. There's going to be a flood of individuals who are like, hey, I can finally afford this. It's go time. Yeah, it's go time. And and the market is going to be in that situation again where the, 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 that demand is finally going to be able to afford to buy. And they're going to jump in the market. And, and, and now all of a sudden, for those real estate investors who are now saying to themselves as well, well, I could have bought it seven and, and a quarter percent. But now that interest rates have gone down by one percent or one and a half percent, now I'm going to jump in the market, too. Mm-hmm. Well, well, guess what? What's going to happen? The same thing's going to happen. And there's going to be five, 10 people bidding on every property again. And prices yep. are going to go up again. That's right. And yep. and the cycle will kind of repeat itself mm-hmm. uh, to a degree. Probably not like to the extent or the extreme that it did. did. Yeah, right. Because the smart people are who are controlling everything are getting a little bit smarter. And so they're, they're going to kind of, you know, pull the, the the levers or whatever. And and don't get me wrong. I like, I'm not a conspiracy guy. Like, it's just like, I just think that they're doing like the smart people are doing whatever they do for, in order to try and manipulate the economy to, to do what it needs to do. And so the bottom line is they've just raised rates, not to punish anybody, but they just know yeah. that they're trying to get inflation under control. Like, yeah. the, uh, and I think the inflation reports came back better than expected. So some aspect of it is kind of working, right? Yeah, no, exactly. And and so, like I say, like, they're like, I think that they're, they're the smart people. Some people think that they're the, the dumb people. They don't know what they're doing. I think they do know what they're, they're doing to a large degree. And, and because what they are doing is, is because they've, they've raised the interest rates just enough to put it out of reach. The demand is still there, is still there, but people can't actually buy them. And so that's, so, 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 so now that's put downward pressure on, on pricing because the, the, People can't buy them. There aren't five people bidding on them. And so that that actually, you know, helps slow the rate at which housing is increasing. Yep, absolutely. So guys, we just wanted to jump on and give you the uh, back to the future real estate edition where we jumped in our time machine and we said, look, what was the argument for wanting to buy before the crash? What was the argument for buying after the crash? What was the argument for buying 
after the Dodd-Frank legislation and after the market started re to return to normal, what was the argument to buy then? Then what was the argument to buy during COVID? Then what's the argument to buy now post-COVID? Because the idea is, it's all, we say it all the time, it's always a good time to buy because real estate will always hedge or make up for some market deficiency. That is the beauty of simple and conservative single-family residential rental real estate, three-bed, two-bath, two-car garage in good economic uh, conditions in the right types of markets that attract good tenants, there's always an aspect because that real estate has multiple profit centers, multiple profit centers. In the book, I think I list, we list seven different profit centers in the book about what real estate provides. The ones we generally talk about, there's usually about four we talk about, but that we go even deeper because guys, there's always an argument to be made for why you should buy now if you're going to hang on to it for longer than a couple years. And that's well, and, the key. Yeah. And if I can just throw, throw this out as well, that, you know, we, we try to be super transparent, right? With our clients, with everything. And so I'm going to be super transparent with this, with this podcast. Sure. Like, like it, here's my hope. And it, my hope is to create some FOMO, some fear of missing out. And not because it's like, you don't have to buy through us. Like, go I'm like yeah go go just go get it done somewhere like i i my hope is that people will obviously come in and do business with us but the reality is is i haven't done my job if i haven't helped you understand you know as as a, a real estate investor that right now is is such an amazing time to be buying and for those people who are just kind of pressing pause and are just waiting again yep that that you're going to look back a few years from this period of time and be like, oh, I, I did it again. And so here's one of the things is that I've gone through this. Like I kicked myself all the time. I was in this business. I was in this world. I, I bought a number of properties at the peak of the market. Things crashed. And, and my, my, I, I, I did the strategy that I talked about, just held on to the properties. But during the time from you know 2010 to 2015, I, I personally press pause. I helped hundreds of people buy real estate. But during that time, I did not buy a single a single home. And I've looked back on that period of time and I've just said to myself, it's like, why why did I stop buying? And so from when I recognized that when I became conscious to what I had done in my own personal investing world, I promised myself that I was never going to do that again. And so one of my goals, one of my objectives is to just be transparent, to be clear with our clients, with, with prospective people who are looking at us and looking at real estate investing and everybody else is being fearful. It's like, you know what? It's like, don't miss out on this incredible opportunity. And it's one of the reasons, Kev, why you and I are, are jumping in. As I said to this to you at the beginning of the year, it's like, Kev, we got to be jumping in. This is such a fantastic time to be buying. Like it was right. a few years ago and we bought then as well. Yeah. Like we, we've been kind of been on a buying ramp, rampage actually. Um, over the last uh, five years. And the market has done all, all kinds of interesting things over the last five years. But uh, you and I, and as a company, we've purchased over 40 properties. And, and it's because of this principle. We write about it in the book that now is the right time to, to be buying. That's right. You said it. Great, great summary. We hope that you guys enjoyed this little Back to the Future uh, edition of the podcast. What I hope you'll get out of it 
is don't sit on the bench any longer. It's time to get off the sidelines. It's time to do something. You hear us say that all the time, but we wanted to give you some historical precedent as to why. And so uh, I highly recommend, whether it's working with us or somebody else, you should be in the real estate market right now. We hear from you who listen to the podcast and you say, ah, I'm listening to you guys. I just haven't pulled the trigger yet. I know you're out there. It's time to pull the trigger, okay? It's time to do it because we don't want you to, we don't want you to go through kind of what Steve just expressed where you've got that FOMO, right? Where you're going, oh my gosh, I did it again. I mean, we want you to have FOMO today so that you'll jump in, but we don't want you in five years from now or three years from now to look back at this podcast in this moment and go, I just should have bought. Look at how much money I missed out on because I didn't buy when I was fearful. And that I think is the key. So awesome, Steve. Thanks for joining us from Canada. We hope you guys enjoyed the podcast and we'll talk to you real soon. See you, everybody.